Good morning. It's such a blessing to be with you all today. Um, I could say, like, person deity, I've seen you. I've lived in Albania for five years with my family. Um, and uh, we, five years ago, we helped plant a church in the capital city of Albania from the Korcha Church. And so um, the Korcha Church, what wasn't said in the video, was it was founded um, about 100 years ago. And uh, it was founded from Albanian and uh, American missionaries working together. There's a, a family called the Kennedy family. It wasn't, it wasn't JFK. It wasn't that. I thought it was. It wasn't that, Kennedy. Um, uh, but it was faithful believers that worked together uh, for the gospel. And uh, the church was then replanted during communism time. And this is the church that, uh, that was featured here. So it's one of the largest churches in, in Albania, one of the oldest. And uh, it currently is planting nine churches, but it has planted 13 churches total. So... Um, when you guys partner with us, you're, uh, we want to exist without this church uh, because it's a church plant. So we just want to thank you for your partnership with us. Thank you for sending teams. We would love for you to um, come if you haven't come. And uh, yeah, the next time was not this summer, but the next summer. And uh, maybe it can be even coordinated for you to come during a summer camp time. That was such a blessing for my family and I did serve in the summer camps this last year. How we do summer camps is each um, pastor in their, um, and those that serve in the churches, they go with the kids. So you, you go with them, and you're working with them so that when you go back home, um, you, you stay connected with the kids. So it's not like you, you send the kids, but you're, it's a, it's a um, really wonderful uh, process. It's different than I was used to, and it, we've, we've found it to be just a huge blessing. Um, Today, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and um, this, this passage has been a great encouragement uh, to me personally, and uh, as Pastor Albano shared, um, there's, there's been some challenges that our church in Albania has gone through, and um, I think that's just the na nature of the church, actually, like there's... Um, there's difficulties and challenges that come because uh, Satan doesn't want us to exist. He doesn't want us to have unity. He doesn't want us to, um, to function in a way that is healthy and a way that is going to reach the world for Christ. Um, and Pastor Albano is right now sharing in Sunday school, and he, uh, he's, he's great. He's, I recommend him more than me. So I don't know, like if you, I won't be offended, but if you want to walk out, like... <laughs> You still have some time that you could catch him. So if you do that, I won't be offended. Um, but today, we're going to be in First Peter um, chapter 5. Um, last service, I tried to preach the entire book of Peter. Um, I won't do that in this service. I'll try to just hit some of the highlights. Um, but I know you haven't been in First Peter. Uh, it's helpful to kind of get an idea of First Peter and how then chapter 5 fits into the context. Um, Peter begins in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, 
the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Um, if you notice there, Peter is, he, he says that you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So right in the beginning, he's, he's reminding us of the Trinity, but showing that the Trinity isn't something that is just distant from us. <laughs> We're very dependent upon the Trinity. The Trinity is at work in our lives and in our church. Um, he says, I, I don't know if you noticed that, but he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. So that's, a, that's an official term. I mean, when he says that, you, you'd be like, whoa, I want to listen. You know, they're reading the letter of 1 Peter, and it's, it's from an apostle. So quiet, guys. We've got to listen to the apostle. Peter uses that apostolic authority to then focus on, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, he's writing to those who have been born again. He's writing to those who have have a living hope now, a hope that is not dead. He's writing to those who had been dead in their sins and trespasses, but have now been made alive, and now have hope every day, every minute, and that hope is, it's alive. It's a hope that is never going to die because it's, it's fixed in heaven, and we have this hope. If you're born again, and I don't know if you're all born again today, uh, in our services in Albania, there, we have we have many who come who are not born again yet. So um, this is where it begins. This is who he's talking to. And all of the commands and everything that he gives here is for those who are his, his uh, God's kids. Uh, he, he, they have been adopted into his family. And I, I don't know if you know this, but um, I, we, we have, um, I, I not know this, I, we have adopted kids, but I don't know if you know this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you've been adopted if you've been born again. You've been adopted into the family of God. There's only one son of God, right? Jesus. But if you've been born again, you've been adopted into the family of God. You have all the privileges of, of, uh, of a, a child of God. Actually, everything that's been lavished on Christ has been lavished on you. And uh, this is who he's writing to. Um, he goes on, and I'll, I'll kind of skip a little bit because we, we really need to get to chapter 5. Um, in chapter 2, in, in verse 9, he says, and he's reminding them, he's saying, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And this is, these are just amazing statements. Um, this is who we are now in Christ. We are God's chosen race. We are his holy priesthood. We are his holy nation. We're a people of his own possession. Uh, this should never be said of Gentiles, right? This, this, these, we're not Israelites, right? 
but he addresses us as, as those that are chosen by God. We are set apart for him now. We are his people. And I don't know, when you think of missions, I don't know what you think of. I, I don't know what comes in your mind. Like, um, but really, if you think about it, who is he addressing here in verse 9? Is he addressing just pastors? Addressing missionaries? Is he, who's he addressing? He's addressing everyone, right? He, uh, the entire audience. He's addressing all of us. And he says that we are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And I, I, I don't know, I always think of the, the so that. What, for what reason? Why does he say that? These realities are such because so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. You may proclaim, right? Not the pastors, not the elders, not the missionaries. I mean, yes, them, right? Yes, us, but all of us because we have all been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are in a dark world that needs us to proclaim each of us. God has placed each of you in a very strategic place, not an accidental place, with your family, with your neighbors, with your extended family, with where you work, who you interact with, where you live. It's not an accident. God's placed you there so that you can proclaim the excellencies that are found in Christ. And he goes on in verse 11 saying that he's going to urge them as aliens and strangers. And we are, right? I think sometimes we want to feel very comfortable in this world. But we are not to be comfortable in this world. We are aliens and strangers. So I don't know about you, but when you think about an alien, someone says, you're an alien. (laughs) I, I don't have green skin. You know, I'm an alien. Yeah, you're an alien, and you're a stranger. Here, you're an alien and stranger. But you're not an alien stranger in glory and with God. That's where you're a citizen, right? And that means a lot to, to me and uh, my family uh, because in Albania, we are not, we're not citizens, right? We're residents. Um, we're not, when the... the uh, when the prime minister came on during COVID time, he told all of us, he came on the TV and he said, you will stay in your house. You will not drive your car. You will not leave your house unless we give you permission. And we will give you permission one hour for one person in your house a day to go get food. And that's how it was for three months. And uh, I realized very quickly, because I tried to say like, Hey, what about my Fifth Amendment? What about, uh, you know, in Albania, they don't have, uh, they don't have that one, you know? So, um, so you know, if you realize, wow, I'm not a citizen. Oh, but, okay, we're here, and, oh, I'm so glad to be a citizen. You're not a citizen here. You're not. You're a citizen in heaven. That means more than being a citizen of even America, even of the greatest country in the world. It means more because you're a citizen in heaven. You're actually a stranger here. You're actually an alien here. And you're to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And you're to live as an alien so that people will see you and say, whoa, why do you live like that? 
you know, why do you do that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it gives an opportunity for the gospel. Um, it gives an opportunity to help others know our Savior. So in, and this is where we're going here, and in verse 13, he begins by talking about submit, to, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. It says, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him to punish evildoers. When he says, whether to a king, what king was he talking about at that time? What emperor was in charge at that time? Caesar. Which Caesar? I don't know if you're up on your Caesar history. But what Caesar was it? It was Nero. Oh, what do you know about Nero? The good guy? Bad guy, right? Uh, worse than Hitler, probably, right? This, this guy that, uh, that hated, hated the gospel, hated Christianity, uh, killed Christians, killed his own family, ended up killing Paul, killing Peter. And he says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to him. I don't know if you thought about that, but sometimes we complain about our leaders. You know, we, we do that. I don't know, we as people complain, right? We grumble. We're not to grumble. We're not to complain. We're actually to submit ourselves to every human institution for the Lord's sake, even to Nero, which we don't have Nero ruling America, right? I mean, we don't. Yeah, just, <laughs> we, we don't. Yeah, I'm going to leave that wide open, but we don't have Nero ruling. Um, it could be a lot worse, and we need to submit, submit, submit for the Lord's sake, because God will use our submission for his glory. He then goes on in verse 18, says, servants, be submissive to your own masters. So we'll talk about this more tonight in the career time, but um, this meant a lot to me, because he's not, he's not talking about... Uh, just to, to, to servants or to slaves. Um, and he, he's incorporating like the household, the, how the household needs to work together and submit to one another, how that works. Um, he's really talking, th these really need to apply to the like work relationships and a boss and, you know, as master, servant, as uh, employee. Uh, I, I wasn't applying this very well, and I had a boss uh, graciously correct me. Uh, I had thought that you're supposed to yell at bosses, and, and <laughs> you're not. <laughs> you're not supposed to. Uh, and I realized that through the scriptures. He was very gracious, and he pointed me to these scriptures. And we're actually to um, be submissive to our masters, to our bosses, with respect. Um, and not only to those that are good and gentle, you know. He goes on and he says, uh, he uses Christ as the example. Really the culmination, what should we do in submission? How should we do this? Jesus is the example. It, what about if we're harshly treated or we're suffering? Jesus is the example. Because he did not sin as he was sinned against. And he uses Jesus as the example, and then he goes into family relationships, talking about, in the same way, you wives submit to your own husbands. Now, um, not every servant is, so employee is to submit to every boss, right? 
You're to submit to your boss, which is hard enough, right? Your boss. Not every wife is to submit to every husband, right? Each wife is to submit to her own husband, which, again, is hard enough, right? Just one is hard enough. Um, But if we're commanded to do something, then it's possible for us to do it, right? If God commands us, then we can obey, right? Does God command us anything that we cannot obey? It's not a trick question. You know, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, right? He doesn't, he doesn't command us. Through the Holy Spirit, we can obey. We can do what we're commanded to do. Um, he goes on and he talks about commands to husbands, how husbands are to live with their wives, each of their wives, their, their wife, in an understanding way. And as, as a, um, one that is that more weaker vessel is really like, a fragile, precious, precious china, like that. It, how are you, how are you going to care for china? You know, this is a million dollar vase. What are you going to do? You know, you're going to play catch with that? No, you're going to you're going to really care for your your wife, and that's what we're commanded to do. Um, he goes on, and he's he's um, addressing the whole church, and he comes to uh, in chapter four, verse twelve. He addresses that uh, there is there's a fiery ordeal that's come among them. And they're going to have more fiery ordeals, difficult things that are coming. And for this church, it was suffering. They, they were being oppressed by those that were against the gospel. And they were in Asia Minor, you know, modern-day Turkey. Uh, the gospel was going out. They, they were under attack, in a sense. And, and so he's telling them... Um, you, you, as much as you suffer, make sure that you're suffering um, because of Christ, right? Don't suffer. Now, who's writing this book? Who's writing this? Peter. Now, did Peter ever suffer for stupidity? <laughs> he did. Yeah, he, he did. So, but he's saying, don't do that, right? He, he learned. He learned, and he's, he's saying, Make sure if you suffer, you suffer because you're a Christian. Make sure you're not suffering because of your sin. Make sure you're suffering because you belong to Jesus. And, and so as it keeps going, in chapter 5 now, and this is, you know, this is my introduction. So in chapter 5, <laughs> um, chapter five he's now going to focus on the leaders in the church. Then he's going to focus on young men in the church, and then he's going to focus on the entire church. He, he begins by saying, therefore. Uh, now, I was taught, whenever there's a therefore, you ask a question. Why is the therefore, therefore, right? So this actually is pointing back to what we just covered, and specifically to this um, difficulty in the fire ordeal, um, He's now addressing the, the elders. In light of the suffering, in light of the difficulty, elders, elders, I have something to say to you. Um, now, elders, some people try to slice it and say, well, there's elders, there's pastors, you know, there's bishops, there's, you know. In Albania, it gets very confusing sometimes. These words, Peter uses interchangeably. He actually uses the verbal form 
of shepherd, that, I mean, that's what you use as a pastor. If you say pastor, he's using the verbal form of that. And then when he says exercising oversight, that's the word we use for overseer. That's the verbal form of what's used in First Peter, First uh, Timothy 3, where it says um, what the qualifications of an overseer is. And so these words are used interchangeably. So they're, they're uh, used interchangeably. And he, he says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you. So he's, he's addressing the elders. But he says the elders among you. Did you catch that? What does that mean? That means like, okay, I'm, 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 not, I'm not doing something crazy. Let me just give you a word picture or visual. It's like this, right? He's, they're among you. They're sitting right next to you. Um, and, I mean, some of you today, you might be sitting next to one of your elders. Um, that's what he's saying. That's where the elders are supposed to be. They're right with you. They're sitting right next to you. And he says, you, you would think if, he, if he's trying to get their attention, he would say again, remember, I'm, I'm the apostle, Peter. Remember that? I'm, I'm the apostle, Peter. He doesn't say that. He takes off his apostle hat, and you know what hat he has on? Under the, his apostle hat? He has the elder hat. And he says, I'm your fellow elder. I'm just like you. So as this letter is being read, he's saying, the guy in the seat that's sitting next to you, that's with you, I'm, I'm, I'm a fellow to him. I'm just like him. And he says, then he says this. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Again, I think we would want to... I don't know, Peter would probably want to say, like, I, uh, I saw Jesus rise from the dead, right? I saw him ascend into heaven at the right hand of God. I was there at the transfiguration, you know? He says that in Second Peter. He doesn't say that here. He says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And if you think about that, when he was suffering, when he was watching Jesus suffer, think about where Peter was and what he did you know, all of those accounts in the Gospels, where was Peter while Jesus was suffering? Part of the time, he was denying him. Part of the time, he was heading for the hills crying, right? And um, this is probably pretty somber to Peter, right? He's probably thinking about this and like, wow, I'm, I, I, uh, yeah, I was a witness of his sufferings. I wasn't a witness of all of his sufferings, right? Uh, but I was a witness of his sufferings. And, and when he suffered and died, he died for Peter, right? He suffered for Peter. He suffered for you and me, that we might be reconciled to God. Um, and Peter wasn't left in that state where he had denied Jesus, and Jesus just left him in that state, right? He's done with him as a leader. He didn't do that. What, what did Jesus do when he on one of those appearances that he came to the disciples. What did he do when he came to Peter? Remember? He said, Peter, Peter, do you love me? How many times did he ask him that? Same number that he denied, that Peter denied him, right? He restored him into ministry, and he put him into this position. And Peter's probably thinking of, of all of that as he's, he's saying, I'm a fellow elder among you. And he says, I'm a partaker also of the glory that is going to be revealed. Um, 
we, through God's word, we've all had a little taste of the glory that we're going to see in heaven. But that glory hasn't been fully revealed yet, has it? If it was, I mean, people say, oh, I went, I went to heaven, I saw Jesus. You know, have you heard these people? Uh, I, you know, these little kids, you know, I had an encounter. No, I don't, if you did, you'd probably be like a dead man, right? Your heart would stop. I mean, that's what happened to John. When Jesus revealed himself in, in his glory, um, he fell down like a dead man. Jesus had to come and, and pull him up. And that's, that's what would happen, you know, if we were before the glory. That's what the glory is going to be like in heaven. We're going to have bodies that are going to be able to stand before that glory. We're going to be able to see Jesus face to face. We can't do that now. If Jesus appeared right now in all of his glory, we would we'd just dissolve probably, you know. Um, but we are going to be able to stand before that glory that will be revealed. That glory is coming. And so... So he's, he's giving his credentials, but this is a different way that, that he's giving his credentials, Peter is. And now he comes in verse 2 to the command. He says, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God among you. So, uh, you know, I think we would think he's going to say a different word here. Lead, lead. And, and maybe he says lead the people, right? Lead them. No, he says, shepherd the flock. So, I don't know, like, have you seen a shepherd, like, do you see a shepherd, like, stand up on a rock and, like, command the sheep? Go, sheep! Oh, like, when you see a shepherd, the shepherd is normally where? With the sheep, helping the sheep. Uh, I mean, the, the sheep have, I mean, it's very humbling that God calls us sheep, right? Because, uh, and, and by the way, um, elders are sheep too, you know. Shepherds are sheep, uh, and we're really under shepherds of the chief shepherd, right? We only have one chief shepherd. And uh, he says it's the flock. Wh- whose flock does he say this is? Whose flock? God's flock. This is God's flock. This is not a person's flock. This is... This is not their flock. They're a steward of God's flock. That's who all of us are in, in ministry. We are stewards of God's flock. Um, so if you're taking care of God's flock, how are you going to treat God's flock? Imagine you're going to shepherd in every way you know how to care for the people, and you're going to shepherd among them. You're going to take care of them. You're going to be with them. And if you think about shepherding, it's not a really glorious thing. <laughs> it's not very glorious. I mean, if you're a parent, being parenting, a parent isn't very glorious at times, right? I mean, there's smelly times, there's difficult times, there's, there's two in the morning, the child's sick, you know, there's these times. But with sheep, it's worse than that, if you can imagine. <laughs> sheep, sheep can't even drink water on their own. Like, if there's a running stream, they, they get afraid of it. They, they need the shepherd to come and even calm the water down so the sheep can come and drink. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd goes and gets the food for the sheep, makes sure they get in the right place and they're, they're getting in the green grass. And it takes a lot of work for the shepherd to make sure it's, everything's safe and secure. Because the sheep, the sheep, again, God calls us sheep. Um, the sheep are not very smart animals. Um, 
in Albania, like as you're driving around and you're driving and there's sheep around, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, they're jumping in front of your car. They're doing all kinds of things. And they won't get out of the way. Like, they need the shepherd to be like, guys, like, come on. Like, you don't get ran over today. You know, let's go. You know, because they, they will. They aren't, they, they aren't, like, ha- they don't have a plan. They're just, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. And I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. And I really, I think I'm hungry, but I don't know what to do. I'm thirsty. But the shepherd is worrying about all of that. The shepherd's caring for the flock. The shepherd is also taking care of all the diseases and all the, I mean, they get maggots, they get all kinds of things. I mean, I don't know if your pets have ever had, like, been infested with, they, they, that's what sheep, it happens. And so the shepherd is taking care of all of those things. I mean, they're stepping in things and they're taking care of, I mean, it's, it's not a fun job, but it's a very necessary job because they're laying their life down for the sheep. Um, Jesus gives the picture that as he's the good shepherd, right? He is the, the, the one that we are to model ourselves after and the leaders are to be modeling after. He says that he lays down in front of the, the, the sheep gate, right? This is like in the, in the uh, wilderness, there, you know, he'd put rocks around. The shepherd would put rocks around the sheep so an animal can't attack on the side. And then he would leave the door open, and he would sleep in the door. So, so a wild animal would have to come and, and attack that shepherd, and he's putting his life at risk for the sheep. That's what the shepherd does. So he says, shepherd the flock of God among you. He says, exercising oversight. So shepherds are to be watching out, looking for for problems, looking for, oh, oh this, this sheep's fallen into sin, or this one's having struggles, or this one's under burdens. Or it's like when Paul is talking in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 9, when he says, you know, I'm, he's listing all these sufferings, right? He's listing suffering, suffering, shipwreck, this, that. And at the end, he gets there, and he says, and on top of all of this, I have the daily trouble and struggle, and, and I, I'm daily burdened for the churches, that's what this is like. He, he, Paul couldn't sleep at night, not because of the shipwreck or being stoned, or the, but because of the churches. He was concerned about the people. That's what exercising oversight is. Looking out, watching out, caring, protecting, loving, keeping the flock. He says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. So compulsion, I mean, can you imagine a shepherd that is under compulsion? He did, I don't want to be here with the sheep. No, 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 no. Care for your sheep. No, I don't want to be. Care for your sheep. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, shepherds, shepherds are actively caring for the sheep. They don't have to have anybody tell them. These are their sheep. If, if something happens to their sheep, then they're not a shepherd anymore, right? What do you call a shepherd without a sheep? Right? <laughs> what do you call them? Like, they have to care for the sheep. And so it's not under compulsion, but it, it's like it says in uh, 1 Timothy 3, when Paul's going through those qualifications of elders, he says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, he says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. So aspire and desire. Aspire, that, that's the word lust. That's like he passionately 
lusts after this. It's like, I don't know, if any of you are football fans or you, uh, you, you have something that you really love, it's like that. It, he, he aspires to it. It's not something that somebody has to say, come on, go, go do it, get back. No, they desire, they long to do this. They've been called by God to do this. And so it's, it's something that, that Peter's saying, you need, to, you need to remember, this is what you're called to do. This is what you're to do. And he's giving them the command. You're to do it not under compulsion, voluntarily. You, you want to do this. This is something you desire to do. You, you signed up for this. God signed you up, but you also signed up for this. And then he goes on and he says, uh, not according to the will of God. So that's really cool how he says it because it's voluntarily. You volunteered for this according to God's will. Right? So that's very encouraging when you're in ministry. You volunteer for that. Why did I volunteer? No, according to God's will. Oh, okay. I volunteer for this, but it was according to God's will. And he continues and he says, not for sordid gain, right? Not, not for money, not for power, not for these things. He, um, a lot has been said by Paul about uh, sordid gain, about the dangers of money. Um, when we're talking about, um, well, back in First Timothy 3, he says, uh, no, free from the love of money, he says, free from the love of money. So th that's, that's not why they're there. They're not trying to gain something. They're not there for the paycheck, you know. They're not there to get something from the sheep. They're not there for power. They're not there for prestige. They, th that they're free of, of that, that love of money uh, specifically. Um, in Titus, it says it a little differently when Titus is going through, Paul is going through his list for Titus, in uh, Titus 1, verse 5, he says it like this. He says at the end, well, it's actually verse, verse uh, 8. He says, uh, not, in verse 7, not for fun of sordid gain. And he says um, what he is doing, he's holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort and uh, in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So he's, he's constantly in God's word in himself, and he loves God's word more than he loves money or power or stuff. And he's not loving God's word to just lock himself in the study, right? He's loving God's word so that God's word will burn through him to God's people. That he will be impacted by God's word for God's people. Everything that he's learning, he wants God's people to know. That's why he's learning it. He's not learning it for himself. That's really fun. It's really awesome. But he's doing it because God's people need God's word. That's why he's doing it. Because he's among the sheep. And he's teaching the sheep. And he loves the sheep. And he's feeding the sheep. Um, in, back in 1 Peter 5, he, he goes on and he says, it's not for these gain, like sordid gain, but it's for eagerness. It's with eagerness. You're passionate about it. And then he says, not lording it over those allotted to your charge. Right? You're not, you're not lording it over. In Albania, how you picture a boss in Albania is lording it over. You know, I'm the boss. I can do whatever I want uh, because I earned it. Because 
because my cousin put me in this position, you know? And I'm, I can do whatever I want, and I can step on your head, and you have to do what I say. And everybody says, yeah. Like, um, and I think folks have been under communism so long that they just accept that. Like, that's just how it's supposed to be. We're not to do that. I mean, we, you have examples even here in the States of people lording it over. That is not what we're to do. We're to instead, it says not lording over, be, um, you're to prove to be an example to the flock. So it's, it's, not, it's not one that is um, trying to promote themselves. Like, do you remember the disciples? I named my sons after James and John, you know, the sons of thunder. But I, I named them after James and John, I don't know, post maybe ascension, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, when, when John has like, he says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I can't believe he loved me. He loved me. And I was a son of thunder. And he said that. And I was. And I wanted to burn those Samaritans up. I really did. Uh, but, but now... I'm so impacted by his love, I have to, I'm known as the disciple of love because Jesus loved me. He shouldn't have loved me, but he loved me. And now he's gentle, but do you remember James and John? They, they came and, and they, uh, they asked Jesus to, for authority, to sit at his right and left hand. Do you remember that? And all the other disciples were upset. And so in Mark 10, 43, it says that they were in, indignant. They were angry. Well, they were angry because, you know, James and John cut in line in front of them and asked first, right? Because they would have, you know, it's like, ah, like I, I, I'm upset at you because I would have asked. And now there's only two, there's only one right and one left, right? And there's two of you, so where am I supposed to sit, you know? And Jesus doesn't even talk about right, left, this. What he says to them in Mark 10, 43, he says, the, the Gentiles, they... They lord it over you. They, they are, are a man who exercise authority. That's what they're known for. And he says, it's not to be that way among you. He says, but whoever wishes to be great among you is to become your servant. To become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. So if there's a leader, the leader in the church is to be the slave of everyone. And remember Jesus, Jesus girded himself that night at the Last Supper, and they're still, you know, arguing about who's best and who's the greatest. And Jesus took off his outer robe, and, and he dressed himself as a servant, and he went to each of them and washed their feet. And, and why did he do that? He did it as an example. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do for one another. That's what the leaders should do, but that's also what we should be doing for each other. We should be known as foot washers, those that are caring for the smelliest part of each other, right? Really, they're caring. I mean, have you smelled? When my kids used to take their shoes off when, <laughs> when they were younger, and they took a shoe off in the car, I knew it before anybody said anything, <laughs> you know. I mean, the disciples' feet probably didn't smell very good, 
but Jesus did this as an example. And so it doesn't matter how bad we smell or what we're like. We're to care for each other in this way. We're to humble ourselves to care for one another as if we're caring for Christ. And he says, he says, the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man, this is in Mark 10, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He did not come to get. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. And he's the example. And it says that back in 1 Peter 5, in verse 3, it says, you're to prove to be an example to the flock. And Peter, Peter is, is pointing um, to this idea that the leader is supposed to be a model, an example. You should be able to be like Paul. We just preached through first, first and Second Thessalonians. And I was just really struck with how many times Paul says, as he's writing to this, this new church, he says, follow my example. Remember how I acted among you? Do what I did. And, and you say, okay, what was that example like? You know, what was, what was that like? Well, his example was, you know, you know, I think, wow, he was, he was an apostle. Is that how he came in with, you know, riding a horse into Thessaloniki, and he's like, I'm tough. I'm, no. He said, I was gentle among you. We were gentle. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, I was, we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. So he says, I was like a nursing mom. I, I've, I've met two babies this trip uh, that are nursing babies. And the mom's always there. The, whole, the mom's whole world is surrounded by this baby. Like, the baby is, is really important to the mom, right? Because the baby is totally dependent upon the mom. Because it's a nursing baby. It must have the mom or it won't survive. And that's how Paul was. Among, among them. And that's how the leaders are to be. They're to care for the church like, like a nursing mom cares for her baby. Um, he goes on to say, yes, we admonished you. He says, we exhorted, we encouraged, we implored you as a father, he says in verse 11, as a father does his own children. No, how does a good father care for his kids and help them to grow, and help them to change. That's how Paul was with them, uh, and not as one that lorded it over them. Um, back in 1 Peter, he says, and when, when the chief shepherd appears, he says in verse 4, you shall receive the unfailing, fading crown of glory. And that's what all of us are looking for, right? We want to pray with John Come, Lord Jesus. You know, I don't know if you pray that. Maybe, maybe you're so satisfied with this life and what you have, you don't want to pray that. You know, have you thought about that? We need to be praying that. Come, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait till you come, Lord Jesus. Because he's coming, he's coming to uh, bring his full salvation to you, you know. He's coming to to bring you into his kingdom. Um, that's an exciting time. But for the, the leaders, they will receive an unfading crown of glory. You say, well, I'm, I'm working for that crown. Well, what are we going to do with those crowns? 
in heaven. What are you going to do? You're going to say, whoa, look at my crown. No, we're going to cast our crowns, right, before the king, before Jesus, uh, as an act of worship. And, and that's, that kind of goes into this last part here, and this is where we'll end. But we're, it's not for our pride. It's not for us. It's, it's for God's glory. And so in verse 5, he, he wants to address the younger men. He says, younger men, you're to be subject to your elders. And, and that's connecting to those previous, you know, be subject to your, your master, be subject to your, you know, be subject, be subject, be submissive. And he says, with um, in all of you, so if you're a young man, I don't know, it's just like a little short note here, right? I, I consider my, me, a young, I'm a young man still, maybe not by your standards, but I feel like a young man. And um, as a younger man, you need to be careful. You need to, you need to know that maybe you'll have temptation to have more pride. We all have temptation to have pride, right? You might have temptation to have more pride than others. And so, so young men are called out, but he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. This is one of those one another's I don't think we talk about very much. You know, we love, the, love, the, love one another, care for one another. You know, be, put on humility towards one another. Yeah, but towards each of us, like what about, I have to, yes, all of us. And that's a question you might want to ask. You know, did you get dressed today in humility? Did you put on that clothing? Or are you, are you naked when it comes to humility? You know, or have you put on something else that's vile before God instead of humility? Uh, this is something we're to put on every day, all the time. Make sure you're clothing yourself. You know, you take your jacket off. Oh, put it back on. Put that humility on. Make sure you have that humility on. That's just, it's like getting dressed. We should be putting humility on. When we came to Christ, we came humbly, right? This is something we're constantly to be, humble people. And it says that we don't need to be afraid of anything because God is taking care of us. Any care and anxiety that you have, you cast at God because he cares for you. And you don't need to be, you need to be on the alert for Satan. You need to be careful but you need to know that Jesus has conquered Satan and that he's given, you, um, he's given you a way out. You can resist Satan. Can you believe that? You know, you, you see these scary movies with exorcism, you know, all this stuff, and you, you don't need to be afraid of that. You need to resist the devil. It says in James 4, 7 that he will flee from you. But the devil's prowling around. He's looking for those that are proud. He's looking for those that, that are are the sheep that's proud, you know? Can you imagine a proud sheep? Yeah, I'm going to go my own way. Well, that means you're going to get eaten, you know, because a proud sheep is going to probably run right into the lion's den, you know? So don't be a proud sheep. Don't be a proud sheep. Be a humble sheep. And know that all of us are experiencing suffering. Uh, We're experiencing different difficulties and trials. Um, pray for us. I mean, our services are happening right now in Toronto. When you have services, remember us. Uh, pray for us. Um, we'll be praying for you as well. We are going through um, the same kind of sufferings that we're going to have in this world together, even though we're in different places. And that's what Peter says. Remember that we're all in this together. 
Remember that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Remember uh, to be humble. And remember, um, remember that God has put placed the, the, the leaders before us, and he's shown us how we can all work together for his glory. So let me close in prayer. Um, Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this precious body. I, I just, they've ministered to us and my family so much throughout the years, and we just are so thankful uh, for each one of them. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them and encourage them. I pray that you would help each person, each of us, to be humble, Lord, that we would not think higher of ourselves than we ought. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be, be um, wise sheep, that we would be humble sheep, I pray for the leaders, Lord, for the elders, that you would help them to be elders that are modeled after the chief shepherd. Um, but we are so thankful that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And we're so thankful that he leads this church. And we just pray that you would be glorified in and through us, Lord, as we are humbly clothing ourselves in humility and humbly acting towards one another. We pray that you would be glorified. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.